The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by our sponsors, including Gate Global Impact, Seed Equity Ventures, and Patch of Land. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Mark on the World show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. I'm a Forbes contributor covering social entrepreneurship and impact investing. Today's guest is Tony Robinson, who is a professor at Trinity College Dublin, all the way from Ireland. Welcome to the show, Tony. Hi, thanks. Uh, thanks, Devin. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited to have you. It's interesting to have a professor on to talk about social entrepreneurship, but but you really have been working to implement a new model of entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship with a new cook stove that you're developing for use in the developing world. And, and I think it's interesting to look at your model along with your uh, stove technology. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh... I would, I would classify myself as a little bit of a rookie in this in this space, you know, being in it for, for five or six years. Um, but yeah, what we've, you know, through the process of, of starting a new technology uh, and trying to develop it, you know, in the developing world, Malawi in this case, uh, for Malawi, uh, we learned along the way that the business model, a lot of it hinges upon the business model. I mean, getting the technology right is engineering and you have to do that right and it's not easy. Uh, but getting the price point and getting the, the distribution, I mean, we're talking the potential of tens of millions, hundreds of millions. I mean, how, how do you, how do you get to those numbers at price points, which are, which are this low? So our, our hypothesis is that, that it needs to be uh, designed for manufacture close to the consumer. You know, can we, can we engineer the device so that it can be, uh, can it be mostly manufactured and assembled? Uh, in Malawi itself. Yeah, well, it, it is an exciting uh, model. Do you have a Do you have the stove there handy that you can show us? Yeah, I have. Uh, the, the, I have the components of the stove. So um, the, the stove itself is one that's being. It's a clay. It's a simple clay stove, and it is manufactured by by local co-ops, typically women's co-ops. Um, so it is the Earth of Malawi. Uh, this thing's heavy to bring back to Ireland in your in your suitcase, but um, so. <laughs> and uh, and they manufacture and sell them for somewhere to the tune of uh, two American dollars, probably a little bit less. Now the and, key, though, to your yeah. product is to generate some electricity. That's really your area yeah. of expertise is thermal uh, energy, right? Yeah, thermal electricity. So. So uh, on a scoping mission, you know, I mean, when I when I when I entered this space, when I decided to enter this space uh, of, of you know addressing energy poverty, I went on a scoping mission to Malawi, um, and you know, in, in my mind's eye, it was going to be a solar project. You know, how could it not be a solar project? And uh, and you know, you know, being somewhat naive about about Africa, you had this vision of this place bathed in in sunshine. Now. We went in the rainy season, so it was it was bathed in rain. Uh, but when when you when you went to the villages, uh, you know, every, around every corner there was a fire. Every corner, and I'm I'm a thermodynamics and heat transfer professor. And and one thing about fire, it's a very rich and concentrated source of energy. And and this sort of vision of 
of you know Malawi bathed in sunlight really changed into something a little bit more something you know dark spotted with 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 fire and uh, and with that the idea was you know could we use that I mean one thing's for certain is that meals be prepared every day and 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 the fire will be lit every day and every evening I mean that is a is a consistent reliable repeatable source of energy the trick was then you know how do we tap into that source. Uh, to generate sufficient electricity, and and we've we've been through several technology demonstrators and, and field trials, and what we have now is, is is something that looks a little bit like like this, uh, affectionately known as dust boot, uh, and it, uh, it it serves the purpose. So this would sit in through the side of the stove, acting as a grate, which improves the efficiency of the stove by allowing air to to act underneath. But these are rods that draw heat. Uh, from the from the chamber to a plate, and in between that is a thermoelectric module, which is a simple solid-state device that looks like at least like this. So, and then on the opposite side is the some angle iron that would have water in it, and that cools the thermoelectric device. And by having it hot on one side and cool on the other, it generates electricity. And with some circuitry that we've that we've developed, um, they can now charge phones, uh, low-powered radios, LED flashlights, and, and things like that. And, and it produces enough every day to, uh, for those type of electrical services, the phones and lights. So it, it also, the stove also reduces the amount of fuel required compared with the traditional three-stone fire, right? Absolutely. Uh, now, th this there are some, and we, I've seen even on your show, there's, there are some stoves which are, which are, are, are terribly efficient, I mean, in a good way. Uh, now, this stove would not reach the levels of efficiency of, of, uh, of the, the other stoves I've seen, but this is a $2 stove that's, that's, that's made locally. And, and it has that same, that same uh, what would you call it, the same business model, you know, close to, close to consumer manufacture. These people in the Chihuahua district that make us our stoves, they make and distribute stoves for all, for all the people in the Chihuahua district. And that's how they're getting to the numbers of tens and tens and tens of thousands of these efficient stoves. Um, now, at the end of the day, the stove is, is much more efficient than, than uh, an open fire. And it, and it can use uh, fuels which you wouldn't necessarily always use, you know, corn husks and, and, uh, and stuff. So it has some potential benefits beyond being able to generate electricity. Let's go through it. What are what do you see as the the issues people are facing? And I said this isn't abstract. Now you've been to Malawi a number of times. You've done real research to figure out what are the issues they're facing, and how does your stove solve those issues? Well, like it or not, in in. The developing world, I mean, and, and Malawi being part of that, uh, energy is fire. Energy, and, and most of that energy, I wouldn't put a number on, but I would, I would, I would, I would bet that it's well over 90%, probably more, uh, is fire for cooking, uh, which is the stove. And the implication of that uh, is, is human and environmental. The human aspect is the, is the, the smoke. Um, and you know, as you well know, it is it's one of the number one killers of the planet uh, is smoke inhalation uh, from from cooking in open fires. Uh, but let's not forget about the accessing wood. I mean, someone told me once, uh, 
the age of a village is, is almost like a, you can tell it like the age of a tree. You have the rings and you can count the rings. And if you go out and you look at a village and you see how far they have to go out to access wood, uh, that could give you a sense of how old I mean, it's, it's metaphorical, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a way of thinking about it. But the, the access to fuel and the deforestation and the, the erosion of the, of the soil and everything that, that comes along with it is, uh, is um, you know, it's, it's terrible. So on the other side, uh, there's access to lighting. And, and in, in the developing world, light is candles and, and paraffin lanterns. And then again, it's the smoke. It's the, uh, the cost that they're, they're spending uh, an exorbitant amount of money on, uh, on fuel. Uh, and, and the quality of light they get is, is the worst light that you can have compared with something like an LED, uh, an LED lantern. And then, and, and so in 2009, when I first went to Malawi, uh, you know, we were, you know, I had this, we're going to do a solar project for lights. You know, that was my idea. Uh, and now we're doing a cook stove project for phones. You know, and just just in the process of, 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 of three or four years, you know, the, the chief might have had a phone. Now every adult has a phone. And in fact, they have two phones in case the battery dies on one. And so then you have the same, in the same way that you have access to fuel, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an access where you have to walk for miles and miles and miles and then pay money of some sort. Now, uh, phones are the same. They have to walk to charging stations, which can be five, sometimes 10 kilometers away, three kilometers, twice a week, and then pay money, you know, up to a month's income for a year uh, to keep their phones charged. So, so you put all that together, you, you, you see that, you know, there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity to bring electricity uh, to people locally, bring electricity into their homes, bring value to the cook stove as well. You know, adoption of cook stoves isn't necessarily like that. You know, we're talking ancient traditions. You know, people aren't just going to use it because it's there. Uh, but if you put a generator on that stove, whereby the phone is the most valuable thing in the, in the home, and all of a sudden that stove becomes something that's very important. And, and, and hopefully you can, you can affect the uptake of, uh, of the technologies. Yeah, it, it, it's really fascinating. Now, how have you been working with the locals on the production side of things? Tell us a little bit about the process of uh, getting this spooled up for production. Yes. So, again, it's, it's, it's trial and error. Um, we, we, we like to use the word adaptive design. Uh, another way of saying trial and error. Um, and so the, the, um, there are components that need to be manufactured. There's the stove itself, and we have modifications that need to be done on the stove. So we have a, uh, a co-op in the Chiolo district of, uh, of Malawi that have a stove production facility that do uh, stoves, especially for us with our specific modifications. Uh, we initially had a you know, sort of a roadside machine shop and across the road, a roadside work, uh, woodworking shop, uh, doing a lot of the metal and the and the woodwork that we needed. So we we're really trying to build all the most of the components, the hardware for the system. Uh, and we've had some success and some sort of failures with that. Uh, you know, some of the metal work is now being done at a, at a machine shop in uh, in, in Blantyre. And and so the so we're at the point now where all the pieces are being made. Are being fabricated, and and we're we're, we're shipping in really 
the thermoelectric module. You know, this this isn't going to be made in Malawi. It's shipped in from from uh, from China. Um, and we're literally at the stage now uh, of, of of training a woman's another woman's co-op for putting it all together. You know, putting the stove, putting you know the stove, and the, and and you know tightening the nuts and bolts and and doing the diagnostics to make every to make sure that everything works. So that's literally where we are now. That's very exciting. So the, the stoves will be for sale at some scale in the very near future. That's that's the hope and dream. Yeah. Now I want to step just back in time a little bit. The design process has been ongoing for six or more years. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the iteration, the data gathering, and yeah. how you've been through that process because yeah. you've used some fairly scientific approaches to that. Yeah. We're, we're, I guess I guess the, one of the good things about being a rookie sometimes is, is that you break rules that don't exist, right? Um, anyway, so when our when we decided, what, one thing we knew when we first started is that we were not going to get it right on the first shot, and and we were a little bit. Nervous might be the word about uh, you know to use, about not having it right. So the the question was, if we don't have it right, we know we're not. Uh, how are we going to know what we did right and what and what we did wrong? So the decision was made to to spend some money uh, on data logging equipment. So our first field trial, for example, was in 2011, I think, uh, 2010, 2011, and and we built five generators. And for five generator stoves, and we had five control stoves, and we we put too many sensors on these on these stoves, uh, probably about ten sensors. So we so with the generators we 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 measured the combustion uh, chamber temperatures so when the stoves were lit. You know we could we could watch in real time. Uh, you know when the stoves were on and off. Uh, we measured the power that was being drawn by the generator or being generated by the generator but we also measured when when they were using the energy so we had these little these neat little graphs where you can see the generator you know red little line making uh, energy and then we could see someone plug in a phone Boop, this little green line would come up and we could trace them and we did it over three months and we were taking measurements uh, every minute of every day for three months over 10 sensors per over 10 stoves it was an enormous amount of data but we learned a ton you know, we were able to do calculate engineering calculations. We were able to know to calculate how much, on average, energy people used every day. They had phones and they had LED lights, uh, and, and they had radios. You know, basic electrical services. You know, people couldn't have put a number on how much energy do people need, and it was remarkably consistent across all of the groups. And we've done you know other. Okay, let's. I want to pause right there, Tony. Yeah, how much sure. energy were they? Uh, and you have a way of putting that in terms that uh, a layman like me can understand. Okay, so the the the, the answer was un, was somewhere to the tune of three to four watt hours a day. Now, to put that into context, uh, you know, I don't know what we we are probably using something of the, to the tune of five thousand watts a day. Yeah. So, so, so five five watts a day, or five four or five watt hours a day, three watt hours a day, would be uh, a small LED light, so a one watt LED light, so a bright white one, running for three hours or four hours, and that's enough to keep a phone charged and a light charged uh, every day. It is it is a we were very surprised how little energy it was. 
And it was remarkably, like I said, consistent across all of the ones. And we published this data in scientific journals because we thought that was very important because I've been to solar installations where, where I, I know how much they cost, 500 euros to put a solar system into a home. And, but it was producing 100 or you know, a thousand times more energy than is actually required for the, the service of phones and, and lights. Yeah, it really is a fascinating data point because these folks were walking, what did you say, five or 10 kilometers a day or five or 10 miles a day to, or maybe not every day, but regularly yeah. to charge their phones. And they needed just they yeah. needed the equivalent of a pixie dust amount of yeah. energy. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no, it is. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, and, and, but the interesting thing that, that we were able to do with that information uh, is this adaptive design process that, I, that, that we talk about uh, is that we looked at it and we said, in, in, in fact, we were generating because we were able to, to, to measure you know, how much was being produced during just regular cooking cycles. Um, and we were able to find out, and people don't have this data either, how long the stoves were lit during the day. You know, we had a lot of anecdotal information, three hours. It wasn't, it was six to eight hours a day, these stoves were lit. And what we were able to do is we were able to say, okay, well, we can, we can re-engineer the system, take some of the more expensive components out of it because they're using it for longer. So we can still get, we can still sort of fill up the tank uh, with a lower performance system because we now know that, that people use the stoves longer than, than three hours a day, which was the design point that we built it for here in Dublin because the, the information was anecdotal. So, that, so then, and, and, and so we've been using this hard data, these measurements, and, and, and the team here are really good at taking lots of information and crunching it down into something useful. Uh, and we actually use that to feed back into the, the actual design of, this, of, the, of the technology. Yeah, this is, it's really fascinating. And clearly that, that data gathering process was invaluable to perfecting the device in the end and uh, certainly trumps yeah, anecdotal surveys. So, yeah, you know, the anecdotal data that most people are relying on for that kind of thing. They think they've, they've done it all once they've been in country and talked to a few few locals. That's really fascinating. Yeah. There's no other way to do it if it's a technology, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, I, I want to just take advantage. I've got a couple of uh, personal questions for you. Sure. I'm always fascinated when I meet people who are doing great things. And so... Uh, Clearly, as you roll this process out, you become a role model to your students, to the people in Malawi, to who knows how many people in the world. Who do you look up to as a role model? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say in, 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 the, in this context, um, I, I, would, I really admire a guy named David Irvine Halliday. I don't know if you know or have heard of him. Um, he's a Scottish fella. Uh, and uh, uh, he was a professor, Professor Emeritus now, I think at the University of Calgary, but he spent his time as an academic. So there's some parallels with, uh, with me and, you know, and he spent his time teaching and doing research and science and, and pushing the boundaries of knowledge and, and, and like we're, we're meant to do in academia. Uh, and then he and his wife, Jenny, were on a trekking trip in Nepal. Uh, and then he saw darkness. You know, he saw that, that that darkness and the poverty, and 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 all those. And, you know, it's, you know, and the curtain kind of opened up, and he saw the the connotations of of, of energy poverty, and uh, and he put the brakes on on his life and took a complete left turn, 
uh, he decided that he was going to have an impact in, in helping people and helping uh, people in the developing world. Uh, he started an NGO, uh, Light Up the World. They were the first NGO to bring LED lights to the developing world, which is pervasive now. Uh, they've probably lit up uh, you know, well over a million, maybe a million and a quarter people over 50 countries or so. Um, but I think what's really important is that, uh, that over time, he's sort of ran the gauntlet from NGO to social entrepreneur. Uh, we're now, he's the, the founder and the executive chairman of, um, of Visionary Lighting and Energy in, in India. And, you know, he didn't do this for profit business for profit. You know, he did it because with his experience, he knows that this is the way that he can have the largest impact in this space of, of bringing energy and bringing light to people is through uh, a capitalist business model. So, you know, I admire that that vision. I admire his passion, his positive spirit, and, um, you know, his, his endless enthusiasm. But I also really respect and admire his, his talent as an engineer because what they're doing is developing technologies. And, and I feel a lot of parallels to what I'm doing, albeit I'm kind of at an earlier stage in a different country and a, on a different technology. But, uh, you know, he's, uh, to me, he's a role model. Well, certainly, certainly. Now, I understand why the issues you're tackling in terms of health of women and children, uh, the opportunities associated with having a charged up cell phone and a lantern as opposed to not having those things, the dangers of kerosene, the weaknesses of candles. I, I get all of that. What I want to understand from you is why you personally chose to care about this. Uh, it's one thing to study it. It is entirely another thing. Yeah. Go to Malawi over and over again and actually work at finding a solution. Why? Yeah. Why? Um, yeah. It's a good question. I mean, it's a bit circular. I mean, I care because I care. I don't know if that's a, that's a fair thing to say, but... Um, I mean, you know yourself when you when you see these levels of poverty, uh, like in in places like rural Malawi, uh, and you know you, you finally get it. You know you 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 like the penny drops, and you internalize, uh, you know what vulnerability really is, and 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 the implications of that, and how hard these people work. They work so hard, uh, you know, to keep themselves above, you know above water and, and to keep themselves alive, to keep themselves fed and safe. Um, you know, how could you not care? I mean, it's, it's, it's just human. And I suppose that, you know, specifically, why do I care about, about energy poverty? Um, you know, I've been training as an engineer for 25 years. I started in university and I'm still here 25 years later. It's training, training, learning, training. One thing about being in a university setting, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a never-ending process of, of learning, and I've learned about energy. I teach energy, and and you know, in that context, because I care, and because you can't help but care. But this is something where I can make, I can do something. I can do something with the skill set that I have because I've been trained for this. If I was a medical doctor, in the same sort of emotional space, I, I would be doing health. Yeah. So I suppose that's where that's where it comes from. Yeah. Now, let's. Let, I want to get just one last. Question, you obviously uh, spend a lot of time offering tips and advice to students, but I want to tap into a, a thread you probably don't tap into all, all the time, but 
with your social entrepreneur hat on. Yeah. Help us identify an impact tax, something that we can do every day that would help us do more good. Hmm. Yeah, um, first, surround yourself with good people. I mean, that's not always the easiest thing to do. I mean, we, we've, we've all had, we all work in and around people, but, but getting, a, getting a team and getting these, these people that, that, that you can feed off of and they can feed off of you and have the same sort of altruistic uh, sort of motivations and, and will work tirelessly to do good. I mean, I think that, that, that has to come. We, we, none, of, none of us will do this by ourselves. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a group effort. I mean, people like Morris Deasy and, and Seamus O'Shaughnessy here, my team at Trinity, I mean, they, they've done heavy lifting and we've kept each other going through thick and thin. And, but, I, but one thing I could offer from, from a perspective of, uh, of, a, of a scientist, I mean, I, I've been trained as a scientist. Uh, I, I publish in scientific journals and, and I do research in, in science. Um, is that, uh, you know, one thing you learn is being a scientist is that there's no such thing as failure. You know, you're just doing something the wrong way. And, uh, and you have to learn and you have to adapt and, and you have to get yourself over that hurdle to the next hurdle. And if you're doing your job right, you don't know what that next hurdle is going to be. Um, so uh, I suppose that the hack would be that um, failures, will, there's no such thing as failure. You know, it's something you have, you're going to learn from and it, you're going to get you're going to gain knowledge. You're going to gain experience. And, you, and if you just get up and keep moving on and on. And don't get me wrong. Doing this, this, this project is, is uh, you know, it, developing an innovative new technology in Dublin for Malawi. Uh, it's hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. It's an endless row of hurdles. But they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller, it seems, as, as we get closer to the end. But it would have been pretty easy to get disheartened and, and throw in the towel early. Um, but we would have no science and we'd have no knowledge if scientists did that. And, and if you can map that same, that same uh, sort of philosophy onto developing technologies or any other thing, uh, I think there's a, there's a hack in there somewhere. Oh, fantastic. Well, uh, Tony, it's been great to have you. I thank you for taking the time today. Before you go, tell people how they can connect with you to learn more about your work and your research. Right. Uh, so our, our project is is uh, lovingly called the Empower Cook Stove. So it's small M, P-O-W-E-R, Cook Stove. Uh, and so that would be our Twitter uh, hashtag, Empower Cook Stove. And it would also be uh, our Facebook. Uh, and I can always be reached in Trinity College, Dublin. I am the only Tony or Anthony Robinson in Trinity College, Dublin. So it's an, it's an easy enough place to find. And my email is arobins, A-R-O-B-I-N-S, at T-C-D, Trinity College, Dublin, dot I-E. Fantastic. Well, uh, th Tony, thank you very much for being with us today, and we wish you every success in scaling up your Empower Cook Stoves in Malawi. All right. Thanks, David. All righty. Let's All do right. some good. All right. Let's do some good. At the intersection of financial services and social media, Gate Global Impact. GGI uses new market infrastructure to facilitate investments in organizations that deliver a societal, environmental, and or a cause-related benefit in addition to a financial return. Seed Equity Ventures is a registered broker-dealer with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and a member of both FINRA and SIPC, providing investment banking services to startups globally. 
Seed Equity's mission is to find the best and brightest entrepreneurs and connect them with global investors. Patch of Land is the leader in real estate crowdfunding with a mission to provide real estate entrepreneurs with easy access to capital from thousands of investors who want to invest in the revitalization of American neighborhoods. Patch of Land is building wealth and growing communities. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devonthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devon hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur or other changemaker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devin is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for, and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.